Jews and Economics We know that Jews have won a disproportionate number of Nobel Prizes, over 20% of them from a group that represents 0.2% of the world population, an overrepresentation of 100 to 1. But the most striking disproportion is in the field of economics. The first Nobel Prize in economics was awarded in 1969. The most recent winner in 2017 was Richard Thaler. In total, there have been 79 laureates, of whom 29 were Jews. That is over 36%. Among famous Jewish economists, one of the first was David Ricardo, inventor of the theory of comparative advantage, which Paul Samuelson called the only true and non-obvious theory in the social sciences. Then there was John von Neumann, inventor of game theory, creatively enlarged by Nobel Prize winner Robert Orman, Milton Friedman developed monetary economics, Keith Arrow welfare economics, and Joe Stiglitz and Jeffrey Sachs development economics. Daniel Kahneman and the late Amos Tversky created the field of behavioural economics. Gary Becker applied economic analysis to other areas of decision-making, as did Richard Posner to the interplay of economics and law. To these, we must add outstanding figures in economic and financial policy. Larry Summers, Alan Greenspan, Sir James Wolfenson, Janet Yellen, Stanley Fisher and others too numerous to mention. And it began with Joseph, who in this week's parasha became the world's first economist. Interpreting Pharaoh's dreams, he develops the theory of trade cycles, seven fat years followed by seven lean years, a cycle that seems, still seems approximately to hold. Joseph also intuited that when, the, that when a head of state dreams about cows and ears of corn, he is probably unconsciously thinking about macroeconomics. The disturbing nature of the dream suggested that God was sending an advance warning of a black swan, a rare phenomenon for which conventional economics is unprepared. So having diagnosed the problem, Joseph immediately proceeds to a solution. Use the good years to build up resources for the lean times, a sound instance of long-term economic planning. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food from these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine. That will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. This turned out to be life-saving advice. His later economic policies narrated in Vayigash are more questionable. When the people ran out of money during the lean years, Joseph told them to trade their livestock. When this too ran out, he arranged for them to sell their land to Pharaoh, with the sole exception of the land belonging to the priests. The Egyptians were now in essence Pharaoh's serfs, paying him a tax of 20% of their produce each year. This nationalisation of livestock, labour and land meant that power was now concentrated in the hands of Pharaoh and the people themselves reduced to serfdom. Both of these developments would eventually be used against Joseph's own people when a new Pharaoh arose and enslaved the Israelites. It cannot be by accident that the Torah twice uses about the Egyptians the same phrase it will later use about the Israelites, they became avadim lepar lefaro, 
They became Pharaoh's slaves. There's already a hint here that too much economic power in the hands of the state leads to what Friedrich Hayek called the road to serfdom and the eclipse of liberty. So a reasonable case could be made that Joseph was the first economist, but why the predominance of Jews in economics in in the modern age? I don't want to argue that Jews created capitalism. They didn't. Max Weber famously argued that it was the Protestant, primarily Calvinist ethic that shaped the spirit of capitalism. Rodney Stark argued that it was the Catholic Church that did so prior to the Reformation. The author of the first great text of market economics, Adam Smith's Wealth, The Wealth of Nations, was a leading member of the Scottish Enlightenment, whose religious views hovered between conventional Christianity and deism. Those who have claimed a special kinship between Jews and capitalism, most notably Karl Marx and Werner Sombart, tended to like neither Jews nor capitalism. Clearly, though, there is a strong affinity between the market economy and what is broadly known as the Judeo-Christian ethic, because it is only in such cultures that it emerged. China, for example, led the West in almost every aspect of technology until the 17th century, yet it failed to generate science, a free economy, or an industrial revolution, and fell far behind until recent times. What was it about biblical values that proved so fruitful for economic thought, institutions, and growth? The Harvard historian and economist David Landis offered insight in his magisterial work, The Wealth and Poverty of Nations. First is the biblical insistence on property rights. He quotes Moses' words during the Karach revolt, I have not taken one ass from them, nor have I wronged any of them. Likewise, the prophet Samuel rhetorically asked the people who have come asking for a king, whose ox have I taken or whose ass have I taken? Landis says that these remarks set the Israelites apart from any other culture of the time. Elsewhere, the king's right to appropriate other people's property was taken for granted. John Locke saw that private property rights are an essential element of a free society. A second feature was Judaism's respect for the dignity of labor. God saved Noah from the flood, but Noah had to build the ark. Third was the Judaic sense of linear time. Time not as a series of cycles in which everything eventually returns to the way it was, but rather as an arena of change, development and progress. We are so familiar with these ideas, they form the bedrock of Western culture, that we're not always aware that they are not human universals. Jonathan Haidt calls them weird. That is, they belong to societies that are Western, educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic. To my mind, the most decisive single factor, the great break of Judaism from the ancient world of magic, mystery, and myth was the deconsecration of nature that followed from the fact that God created nature by an act of will and by making us in his image gave us too the creative power of will. That meant for Jews, holiness lies not in the way the world is, but in the way it ought to be. Poverty, disease, famine, injustice, and the exploitation of the powerless by the powerful are not the will of God. They may be part of human nature, but we have the power to rise above nature. God wants us not to accept, but to heal, to cure, to prevent. 
so Jews have tended to become, out of all proportion to their numbers, lawyers fighting injustice, doctors fighting disease, teachers fighting ignorance, economists fighting poverty, and, especially in modern Israel, agricultural technologists finding new ways to grow food in environments where it has never grown before. All of this is brilliantly portrayed in this week's Parsha. First, Joseph diagnoses the problem. There'll be a famine lasting seven years. It's what he does next that is world-changing. He sees this not as a fate to be endured but as a problem to be solved then without fuss he solves it saving a whole region from death by starvation what can be changed need not be endured human suffering is not a fate to be born but a challenge to be overcome that was joseph's life-changing idea what can be healed is not holy God does not want us to accept poverty and pain, but to cure them.